Welcome to Advancing Word with Dr. T.D. Stubblefield. In chapter 55 of Isaiah, verse 11, God tells the prophet, So will my word be which goes out of my mouth. It will not return to me void without accomplishing what I desire and without succeeding in the matter for which I sent it. Standing on this promise, T.D. Stubblefield Ministries is committed to sharing biblical principles with individuals, families, churches, communities, and our world, believing that only the Word of God can advance us in God's perfect plan for our lives, where we can experience liberating faith, lasting hope, and unconditional love in a relationship with the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Here is Dr. T.D. Stubblefield with today's Advancing Word. Well, we return to 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9. I hope at some point in time over the past week that you had an opportunity to read it. And I even challenge some of you to read the entire epistle of Paul to the church at Corinth, the second epistle. We're preaching a series of sermons from this one verse, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9. I will be reading it this morning in the New International Version. But we find these words, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. Amen? The overarching theme and focus of these messages, the three messages that I will preach from 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9, is the economics of grace. The economics of grace. This passage is a very powerful Revealing, It's a very powerful disclosure of what I have tagged as not microeconomics or macroeconomics. You know, I did not find those subjects very popular. But what I have tagged as grace economics. God has blessed us with some kind of economy. It's not just global, it's transglobal. I believe Ephesians 1 and 3 is transglobal. He has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That extends beyond any continent. It extends to the privileges and prerogatives and the portfolio that we have in the spiritual realm. Grace economics deal with the distribution and the consumption and the production of wealth in the spiritual realm. And at the end of the day, the spiritual realm is the only realm that is significant. That's why Jesus told his disciples, he said, you got to make sure your focus is spiritual. And therefore, in Matthew 6, he says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Seek the spiritual realm. Seek spiritual things first, those things that earth cannot take away, that moth and rust doth not destroy or canker or corrupt. Seek first the kingdom of God and all, all these other things shall be added unto us. The second movement of this biblical passage reports that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor. But what Paul is doing in this passage is that he is challenging, he is attempting to motivate and inspire the Corinthians to excel in giving. Every pastor wants to encourage their congregation, their congregants to excel in giving. And he positions this by saying, as you have excelled in everything else, in faith, in utterance, 
in other areas of Christian life and ministry, I want you to excel in this grace also. And to etch his argument, to anchor his argument, what he does is he brings out what I call in the text the heavy artillery. Because what he does is he presents in this verse that we're looking at for three weeks in succession, he presents Jesus as a supreme example and the supreme and superlative model of what it means to give sacrificially. Though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor that through his poverty you and I might become rich. What's amazing about Paul's presentation is that he encourages their response in a way that he wants them to be motivated by commitment. He does not want them to be motivated by command. He had a right to defer to his apostolic authority and say, you ought to do this. And so Paul said, I'm not going to use my apostolic authority to command your response. I want to provide you an example, the supreme example of giving. Because though he was rich, he became poor. That through his poverty, you might become rich. In what sense did he experience poverty? When I asked the text that question, when I asked the word of God that question, three things emerged. First of all, Jesus experienced poverty in the intimacy of his hallowed relationships. He experienced poverty in the intimacy of his hallowed relationships. The model prayer, it's not the Lord's prayer, the model prayer begins with these words. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. He was acknowledging himself and acknowledging for us that his relationship with the Father was hallowed. It was special, it was holy, it was sanctified. And when I searched the New Testament at many points, I saw this confirmed. In his high priestly prayer, literally the Lord's prayer in John 17, listen to what he said as he prays to God the Father, anticipating his arrest, his crucifixion, all that would happen in the next few hours. He says to the Father, I have glorified thee on the earth. In John chapter 17, verses 4 to 5, he says, I finished the work which you've given me to do. He says, now, Father, glorify me with thine own self, with the glory with the glory which I had with thee before the world began. It's almost as if Jesus is praying and he's expressing a longing for something that he has missed. That's something that has been absent in some sense during his earthly ministry. He prays for closeness and intimacy, glory that he experienced from the beginning. In a classic passage, Most of us are familiar with it in Philippians chapter 2, verse 7. In the same vein, Paul writes about Jesus and said, Who being in the form of God thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but he made himself of no reputation and he took upon himself the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. I believe this self-emptying, this self-emptying on our Lord's part involved a significant change in the blissful and blessed intimacy that he had experienced with the Father. And that's why that wonderful passage ends with God restoring things to their natural supernatural order. He gave him a name 
which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess. This whole intimacy piece reaches its vortex in the Gospels in Mark chapter 15, verse 34. Jesus Christ from the cross. We know something happened as he became the sin bearer of the human race. He cries from the cross, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Jesus gave up the intimacy of his hallowed relationships. He experienced his hallowed relationships with his father and with the Holy Spirit in a different way because of what he was trying to do for us. The second response to the question is, in what way did he experience poverty? Because the text says, I'm not making it up, it says, for your sakes he became poor. Is that he experienced poverty in the incarnation of his human revelation. Not just the intimacy of his hallowed relationships, but in the incarnation of his human revelation. He became human. We call this, theologians call this, the incarnation. According to one theologian, Jesus is the human face of God. I love the way Eugene Peterson frames it. He says, and this sublime word became flesh and moved into our neighborhood. We're here today and we can celebrate salvation today because he moved into our neighborhood. But I want you to know something. The moving expense was astronomical. It wasn't a cheap move. It cost him. God so loved the world that he gave his monogamous son, his only begotten son. The move was major because it cost him everything. He's ready right now. Somebody needs him to move into their neighborhood. You need him to move into your financial neighborhood. You need him to move into your personal neighborhood. You need him to move into your marital neighborhood. He's ready. He's ready to do it. And the Bible says he was born. I'm talking about the poverty in the incarnation of his human revelation. He was born not in a king's court. He was born not in a palace. Not in some affluent neighborhood, but the Bible said he was born in a dark, dirty, dingy stable because there was no room for him in the end. Jesus was born poor. He lived poor. A few years ago, I encountered an article by an unknown author titled One Solitary Life. I want to share it with you today because it goes to this poverty of his human revelation. The article is authored by someone anonymous. There's no name, but it just has always struck me and stuck with me. It says he was born in an obscure village, the child of a peasant woman. He grew up still in another village where he worked in a carpenter's shop until he was 30. There for three years, he was an itinerant preacher. He never wrote a book. He never held an office. He never had a family or owned a house. He didn't go to college. 
He never traveled 200 miles from the place where he was born. He did none of these things one usually associates with greatness. He had no credentials but himself. He was only 33 when public opinion turned against him. His friends ran away. He was turned over to his enemies and went through the mockery of a trial. He was nailed to a cross between two thieves. When he was dying, his executioners gambled for his clothing, the only property he had on earth. When he was dead, he was laid in a borrowed grave through the pity of a friend. And the article ends with this. All the armies that ever marched, all the navies that ever sailed, all the parliaments that ever sat, all the kings that ever reigned, put together, have not affected the life of man on earth as much as this one solitary life. He experienced poverty in the incarnation of his human revelation. He experienced poverty in the intimacy of his hallowed relationships. In the final analysis, when I asked the text this question, I learned that he experienced poverty in the implementation of his heavenly redemption. You know, heroism and self-sacrifice are not in vogue in this self-centered world which we live in, where the cultural mantra and motto is, get all you can and can all you get. Get all you can, can all you get. There's no example in history of heroism as high and noble, of self-sacrifice like what Jesus did when he died on an old rugged cross. The book title jumped out at me, Seven Men Who Ruled the World from the Grave. And some of those listed they give sections in the book too. Was Charles Darwin, the scientist, biologist, evolutionist, Karl Marx, who many believe the Russian political philosopher, who was the conceptual founder of communism, dead. Darwin, dead. Soren Kierkegaard, the Danish theologian, uh, much of. Some of the New Age stuff, we kind of, Soren was leading us that way. Dead. Sigmund Freud, we get from him, id, ego, and superego. Dead. But I bought the book, read about the seven men who ruled, supposedly, whose ideals and concepts still rule the world from the grave. And I thought about another man. And it was worth the buy when the Holy Spirit said, I know somebody. I know somebody. I'm getting ready to quit right now. I know somebody who does not rule the world from the grave. He went to the grave and then he went through the grave. Do I have a witness? He went to the grave and then he went through the grave and he rules the world on the other side of death because early Sunday morning he got up. He got up. Poverty took him to the grave. But poverty took him through the grave. But on the other side, he got up. He got up with all power. In his hands. And he got up with a checkbook. A spiritual checkbook. If you trust him, he'll write a check for you. Won't he do it? 
Not from the grave. Darwin's dead. Wellhausen, the biblical critic, dead. Kierkegaard, dead. Karl Marx, dead. Sigmund Freud, dead. But early this morning, Jesus text me with a finger of love. And so in what way did he experience poverty in the intimacy of his hallowed relationships, in the incarnation of his human revelation, and then in the implementation of his heavenly redemption? How much does he love you? Even before you could love him back, so much that he gave his life for you. Everything we have belong to God. And we experience his riches because he experienced our poverty. You have been listening to Advancing Word with Dr. T.D. Stubblefield. We pray that you have been encouraged with what your ears have heard and your hearts have felt. Explore our website at tdstubblefield.org. For more information about us and to obtain resources provided by TD Stubblefield Ministries. Until next time, be blessed and remember to stop stressing and start stepping, advancing in faith, hope, and love by reading and applying the Word of God so you can stand on certain truth for uncertain times.